Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast with Dr. Lance Miller. Each week, we bring you interviews with the top minds in the orthodontic profession in order to heighten your expertise, boost your motivation, and raise your skills. Join us as we help doctors take their practices and their lives to the next level. And now, here's your host, Dr. Lance Miller. Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. I'm Dr. Lance Miller, and I'm glad to welcome you to our last episode of the spring. Summer is finally here in New Hampshire, and we've got a lot of outdoors activities planned. We've got a lot of vacationing, hopefully, uh, to get in, activities with the family, as well as things getting busy in the office, as you guys all know, as we get towards July and August and the back-to-school rush. So I'm going to take a little break from making some new episodes of the podcast, and we'll pick it up in late August, early September, and then we'll hopefully have a lot of great episodes from September through the end of the year. I want to thank you for your support, for tuning in and listening to the podcast, for telling your friends and colleagues about our show, and for all the kind comments and regards that you send me via email or text or Facebook Messenger. I really appreciate it, and it means a lot to me as we continue to go forward. Today we have a great guest on the podcast, Dr. Arujo, who was one of my professors at St. Louis University, and I'm very excited to bring you this interview after a quick word from one of our sponsors. This episode of the Elevate Orthodontics podcast is sponsored by OrthoChats. As you know, online chat is growing in popularity among patients, more millennials are seeking orthodontic care for their kids, and competition is growing. So getting to patients faster and stopping the shopping process is more important than ever. How many patients have you missed after turning off your phone at 5 o'clock or before you start answering the phone in the morning? What about the weekend? OrthoChats is the world's leading online chat provider for orthodontic practices. They have a team of in-house smile specialists who provide a warm greeting to every potential patient at all hours of the day, 24-7, 365. With over 300,000 chats of experience, they are experts at collecting information from new patients and getting them connected with your practice. Stop wasting your marketing dollars by sending people to a website that is static and lifeless. Hire OrthoChats today to help capture new patients 24-7. For listeners of the podcast, mention the promo code ELEVATE for $200 off your startup. Learn more at orthochats.com. Professor Eustachio Arujo received his dental degree from the Federal University of Minas Gerais in Brazil He received his certificate in orthodontics and master's in dental sciences from the University of Pittsburgh. Dr. Arujo returned to Brazil, where he initiated his academic career as an assistant professor of the Pontifical Catholic University in Minas Gerais. He soon became involved with administrative duties and was made director of the Biology and Health Science Institute, later becoming the dean of the dental school. After serving for several years as the orthodontic program director at St. Louis University, Dr. Arujo returned to PUC Minais as the president of the university with more than 50,000 students and 5,000 professors and employees. He maintained a private office in Brazil working with his associates in order to maintain himself close to his greatest passion, orthodontics. During those four years, he continued to lecture at least twice a year at St. Louis University. In 2007, he returned to St. Louis University as a full-time professor and is presently the Associate Director for the Center of Advanced Dental Education, the Orthodontic Clinic Director, and the Pete Soteropoulos Endowed Professor of Orthodontics. He has recently been awarded the Jerabak Award in recognition for his services to orthodontics and academics. Dr. Arujo, welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast. My pleasure. It's good to be here. I'm so glad to have you on the show. We've been trying to coordinate this for a while. You were actually one of my first people that I was interested in having on the show. So I'm glad we're able to make it happen. 
as I mentioned before, you know, you were one of my professors at uh, St. Louis University, and that's definitely something I look back on with fond memories. Yes, yes. Uh, and I, I apologize for not doing it sooner because of how busy I am over here. But now things are starting to, to slow down for me a little bit. Good. Well, let's start this interview by telling our listeners a little bit about your background, maybe a little bit about your childhood and, and how you decided to become an orthodontist. First of all, let me tell you the most important thing, because people get shocked when I talk about this. I am number 16 in my family. So, <laughs> yes. So we had, uh, uh, when I was born, though, I'm the youngest of 16. And um, I had 13 brothers and sisters because two of my older brothers had passed away. And uh, so I didn't have a chance to to know them. But I have a lot of uh, big family. I have a lots of nephews and nieces. And uh, my family is very strong Catholic family. My oldest brother is a cardinal in the Catholic Church. And um, we are very close together, the whole family. My father was a dentist. My father was a dentist who used to work in the farms. And he had like a, I would say a portable office that he would take from a farm to farm, from place to place to get to see his patients and to raise uh, 14 kids. Okay. He was a very nice man. He was very quiet. He was more on the, on the side of a low profile guy, not as loud as me. Okay. (laughs) And my mother was just a housewife and being a housewife with 14 kids is, is more than a job. Only my father out of, uh, of the 14 kids, nobody wanted to do a dentistry. And, uh, my mother, you know, she always mentioned that it would be nice for my dad to have somebody to take over or to, to continue his work. I wanted to be a physician. I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon because of my ties with sports. But when I decided to do orthodontics or to do dentistry, I had in mind I wanted to be an orthodontist because I would be some type doing some type of orthopedic work. I'll be doing some type of uh, reconstruction. That's what we do with orthodontics. And I thought that would come really well for me. And I don't regret a single moment the fact that I chose the profession and I I chose the specialty. So very glad that I have done it. Next year, I'll be completing uh, 50 years as a dentist. Wow. So this will be, it's time to start to, to slow down, to step on the brake a little bit. And uh, you know what gives me pleasure nowadays is that I see my students surpassing us. And that's great because I see some of my former students doing great work and elevating the profession and elevating the specialty as much as possible. But everything came from the desire to be in a health profession. And uh, that's what I did. And that was reinforced very much when I came to the United States for the first time in 1964 as an exchange student for the American Field Service. And I was in a small city of Iowa called Glenwood. And I had the opportunity to be with other people. I had opportunity to have a counselor 
and we talked a lot. And uh, the decision to go to dentistry came after that, basically. I'm glad you brought up your background in sports. I know you're a, a big football, soccer player and coach. I, I don't think I've had a chance to talk with you since, you know, I'm sure which was the, the painful World Cup match last time around. Is, is Brazil looking good for this summer? Well, this summer, yes, I think we are looking good, but we were looking good before too. And unfortunately, I was there at the stadium when we lost that to Germany for 7-1, to one, and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. But uh, it's uh, I'm looking forward to the next, this month now of June, July, just to try to see as many games as possible and uh, to watch it on TV and Hope that Brazil, I think Brazil is one of the favorites, to tell you the truth. And to make it very short for you, I think I would be, I would be putting Brazil together with Germany, France, maybe Belgium would be the surprise of this year. And I would never rule out Argentina as well as a possible contender. Right, right. Excellent. Well, I want to talk a little bit about a book that you uh, were the editor of, I think that was published a year or two ago, and the book is titled Recognizing and Correcting Developing Malocclusions, and I read it, I think sometime last year. It's a serious book. I thought it was really well put together. The material is put together well that you and Dr. Bouchang compiled. The references, I think, are very you know extensive, so if people want to go and read more, they can do that. But what was your goal in putting together this book and, and publishing it? Well, let me tell you, I think, I, I never said that to anybody, but uh, I don't know if you remember that we had a resident over here called Josh. He was one of the residents that actually gave me the idea to do that because we were leaving a classroom on my classes that I always give every week. I have one hour of early treatment or mixed dentition treatment with the residents. And I was walking out the classroom and he said, can I talk to you? I said, yeah, why not? You always can talk to me. And he said, why don't you put this in a book? Because you have so much information. There, that, that could be helpful to a lot of people. So I mentioned to Dr. Bouchang that I had that idea. And I told, so Peter, I would do this if you come with me. If you, if you take half of the work and I'll take half of the work we'll put together. We'll invite some people to talk about other important chapters or important issues in, or in early orthodontics. And we did that. So we sat down for one lunch hour and uh, I told him, this is my idea. People talk about growth and development and about developing occlusions. We never talk about developing malocclusions because it's something that we should see when to interact, when to introduce our treatment, when to basically interrupt things that are going wrong. And this is probably one of the main reasons that we have the name of the book. We want to not only to intercept, but we want to recognize and correct developing malocclusions instead of calling a mixed dentition book. And the other thing is that Peter and I sat and I said, Peter, I would like you to divide your growth course that you give, which is probably one of the best that I've ever been at. And I said, why don't you divide as normal growth for class one? Then how do class two people grow and how do class three people grow? He said, well, this would be an idea. And I said, well, and if you do that, I'll follow that with clinical cases and clinical comments on each one of these. 
And that's what we did. So if you go to the book and you see chapters five, six, and seven, they have Peter first and then me second, section A and section B, when there is all the, uh, the theory behind it presented by Peter, or I would say the foundation presented by him. And I'll go ahead and I add a little bit to it by just doing the clinical management of different developing malocclusions. Yeah. I was extremely pleased with the book. There is one thing that I regret is that there were basically two chapters that if we had a chance or if we have a chance, if the editor give us or the, the publisher give us a chance, we would like to to redo or do it again because we don't have a chapter on developing hyperdivergent patients. We would love to do that. And we have very briefly, I have very briefly, I show a couple of cases, but we have much more to add on that. And the other thing would be impaction of teeth or early impaction and how to manage impaction of teeth. We don't have that as well. So that would be two chapters that if we have a second edition, we would like to add if we are able to do it. Yeah, that was one thing I really liked about the book was this concept of the pattern of growth. You know, I think growth prediction, maybe on a case-by-case basis, has probably been debunked. But there certainly are these patterns, you know, and I think understanding what's going wrong in a class two or a class three grower can help us really understand the case and, and to know that that foundation, I think, is important when we're making our clinical decisions. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And that was probably the main, uh, I would say, the core of the book is that. Okay, and we really enjoy doing it. And uh, because of the book, you know, we had the plan to do the book. We did the survey, or I think it's chapter three, when we examined 300 patients before and after phase one treatment. And uh, just to see how they improved or how much and they improved. And that was the article is published also on the AJO. That was also a very important study that was done by Vasiliku, Nefeli Vasiliku, and uh, I had a chance to be her mentor. So it was a great, great things that we did together. You know, I find that the diagnosis of these cases is is challenging because when you have a developing malocclusion, I think there's two questions that we ask. One is, what do we do? And then the second is, when do we do it? And do you feel that maybe over time with experience, your ability to kind of determine when to get started in a case, has that improved as with experience? I believe so, Lance. I have to tell you something that uh, the more I deal with kids and I love them, I had a chance to interact with your son when he was over here. You remember that? Yeah. Nice open bite. (laughs) And uh, we had a chance to interact and uh, you know how much uh, we got along and everything. I just uh, have to tell you that for me, the number one thing is the quality of life of the kid. That's the number one thing that I want to know is how do they feel about the problem that they have? Is there something that bothers them? If it is, we'll go ahead and treat it. If it's not, We can postpone it a little bit. I don't postpone class three treatments. I want to get to class three as early as possible to try to rearrange the occlusion in such a way that helps also with the normal growth that happens. It will be kind of uh, 
uh, controlled a little bit better. In terms of the class two, I really want to find out if the patient is bothered by that, if uh, the risk of trauma that nowadays it's, it's probably something that's very, very, we have millions and millions of people, of kids, and especially in the summer now. This week, I already have had one over here that, you know, have trauma to basically to the upper incisors. This is something that we can avoid a little bit if we start a little bit sooner. And for the other reason for the early class two treatment, if we have a hyperdivergence in development, we try to address that the sooner, the better. And I think we have been getting good results. If we get a chance to write a new chapter, probably Dr. Bushang, Peter Bushang and I will have interesting things to show. Yeah. I have to admit, I struggle with that, you know, kind of this one phase versus two phase treatment decision sometimes. And it's frustrating to me when I look at a case and I feel like maybe I've failed in phase one or I haven't accomplished as much as I hoped. And I wonder, really, was it worth it? And probably that's why we have so much controversy, you know, in our profession over this one phase versus two phases. I think people sincerely want to do what's best for their patients. And it's it's sometimes hard to know going forward what the best decision is. Sometimes we only seem to know when we look in the rearview mirror. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. That's probably the most uh, difficult decision to make is when to treat. It's not how to treat because how to treat we probably, we can elaborate on that a little bit too, but when to treat is probably the most important question that you have to be able to answer. And what would be the benefits that the patient will have? When do you treat? I have a simple answer for that. If you ask me, when do you decide to treat? I'm going to say when it's going to be good for the patient, when will benefit the patient. As a patient, as a human being, as malocclusion, as preventing malocclusion and everything. So if it's good for the patient, in my opinion, I'll go ahead and do it. And I'm very thorough during these presentations or these consultations that I present to the family everything that I think is going to happen and how I can help. And I give them the opportunity to say, yes, I don't want it to happen. I don't want it to, I want to try to prevent it or not. Uh, another thing is when you have extremely crowding that you try to guide the eruption of teeth. I, I don't like the term serial extraction too much. I, I think that the guidance of eruption that we get and a lot of parents, when they see, maybe they had crowding before and they say, I can minimize that. Your kid is not going to be like that. So we still be doing that. We still do that. I still see, have patients on serial extraction much, much less than in the past, but I still do it. I'm glad you also mentioned class threes that you like to really intervene with those. And I remember being in residency, and I think you told us not to be afraid of class threes, but you know, orthodontists are a little bit. I think we are. What approach do you personally use for for these skeletal class three patients? You know, they're they come and see you. They're eight years old. They've got a posterior and an anterior crossbite. What are the appliances and the kind of instructions that you're giving patients today? So this would be the basic protocol that I use. Is that we have to make the maxilla basically the same size or the same width as the mandible. So the first thing to do on a young patient is to expand the maxilla. Now, how do you do that? 
It's up to each of the professionals to decide how they want to do it. In a very young age or younger patients, I tend to do bonded RPEs. Uh, if the patient is a little bit older, I probably will go with uh, regular RPEs. I do face mask. And uh, when I'm doing the face mask with a bonded RPE, I see a better result in terms of the maxilla coming forward. If I do it with a regular RPE, I tend to put a acrylic plate or uh, Essex type on the lower arch. So it minimizes occlusion interference and probably acts like an acrylic plane that could help you in getting better results. So my protocol is to start the first two weeks with uh, eight ounces per side. So I put an elastic there with eight ounces and uh, I see the patient two weeks after that to see how he or she is doing about it and if they have any complaints or anything. And normally what I do at this point is to double the force. So I go to 16 ounces per side as soon as they get used to the appliance. It has been my protocol. I'm not afraid to start the face mask at the same time that I'm doing the expansion. So it's a simultaneous thing that happens. And when I get a good result and I see that I have a good result, and that should last about seven to eight months. That's mostly what we do for this initial phase. And then after that, if the patient has a lot of crowding or if they have rotations on the incisors or something, I put a two by four just to make them look better. But if not, I'll just go to my retention protocol from one phase to the other. And I normally use a soft chin cup. That's what I use. Reason being that the patients are very comfortable with it. It doesn't have any acrylic, doesn't have anything. Recent now, we have a resident at this moment doing a, a study on uh, the protocol that's different than mine, which is giving patient the patients a Franco 3 as a retention appliance. And uh, we're going to see if there is any different results. But uh, you have to understand that the number one thing or the second commandment of the class three treatment would be explain the family that you don't do miracles, that normally we're dealing with a malocclusion that has some uh, component, family component, hereditary components. And uh, we try to change a little bit the direction or uh, the growth or the pattern of growth of the, of the mandible. But we have always the possibility of not being totally successful. You're going to be somehow successful, but totally successful is difficult. Let me just update you on something because it's important that people read this. Uh, there is a systematic review that came out from Europe recently in the last two years that compared patients, class three patients, and they say those who had a face mask, 35% of them had to go to surgery. And those who didn't have a face mask approach, 60% had to go to surgery. So if I'm able to minimize 50% or more, uh, I think I'm happy that I'm probably having a better chance not to go to surgery. Yeah, I think those are real concrete numbers that people could share with uh, their patients and parents and things. When I think about these cases, 
and not being afraid of class threes. You know, I think that sometimes what we're afraid of is the fact that they take a lot of time and a lot of effort. And especially in private practice when you're busy, we like orthodontics to be easy, I think. But, you know, sometimes these these difficult cases, you know, are worth the effort and can be rewarding. But that depends on kind of what mood I'm in, whether I'm, I'm excited for the difficult case or whether I'm dreading the difficult case. Let me give you some, you know, reinforce a little bit what you're saying, because this is correct. Whenever you have a class three patient that we start early, you're talking about a follow-up of about seven years because you start early and then you have to follow this patient until the permanent dentition is there. Maybe you do the phase two and everything. But what I'm doing recently, I don't have enough numbers to publish it yet, but out of these seven years of observation, my patients are in treatment for about two and a half years. I mean real treatment. I mean, braces or face mask or something. I'm not counting here the retention period because it's during the night that they put that pajama that you know that you were my student, you know that we call it the pajamas. So they put it to go to bed. But I am putting together this data that I have right now to find out if this is, you know, I see the patient or I follow the patient for years, but real treatment or actual treatment, it's about 30, 36 at the most, that 30 months of real treatment. No, that's interesting. I think that that's, you know, and if you can be efficient like that, I think it is easier for sure, you know, on, on the patients. And I like how you keep that thought about doing what's best for the quality of the life of patients as the top thing. And that's really, when I think about, you know, the interactions that you had with my son and the interactions that you had with the the patients that we treated when I was a resident. One thing that really always stands out to me is your ability to make this personal connection with your patients, even these very young children. And it seems like it's hard to be effective in our treatments if we can't make that connection. Uh, That's something that I always really admired about you. Well, I thank you so much, but uh, you have the point there. If you don't have the player, you don't have a good team, right? If you don't have good players. So this comes from coaching as well. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, for our listeners who might not know, I think you were the coach of the Brazilian uh, national indoor soccer team. Yeah, the futsal team. I coached the Brazilian team for two world championships. I'm very proud of that. And I'm going to tell you that everything that I learned in my sports life, I apply it every day here on the clinic. The way to interact with the residents, the way to interact with patients, It's just an exercise of the same thing that you do on the pitch. You do it over here, too. Tell me a little bit why you decided to become a full-time academic orthodontist. You know, I always thought you could have had a a pretty rocking private practice in orthodontics if you wanted it. But obviously, you were drawn to academics. Yes, I have been always a person, you know, I love teaching since I was, when I was a kid, I used to play of being a teacher. Okay, that's what my mom told me, is that I used to play being a teacher or something. When I went entered dental school, I found a job that was a high school close to my home, a Catholic high school. They were looking for an English teacher for the fifth and sixth grade. And I said, well, if I can do it from uh, the time that I'm not having classes, if you can adapt, I would do it. 
And that's when I started to do that. I had just fell in love with what I was doing. So when I went to, I finished dental school and everything, I said, okay, now I'm going to, I started to do prosthodontics before. So I did it for about five years, six years until when my father passed away. That's when I decided to come to the U.S. for the orthodontics. And uh, I went back to Brazil and uh, I was sponsored during my uh, residency. I was sponsored by the Brazilian government. And I signed a document saying that I would go back and teach. And I did. I went back to teach and I started to teach over there. And the more I taught, the more I interacted with uh, students I was doing undergraduate, the more I loved. And then we, I started a graduate program. And the more I interacted with my residents, the more I loved. But I had something in my life that was also being very strong, which is the relationship with sports. So every time there was something, there was people bothering me or coming after me to try. I couldn't do only what I was wanted to do, orthodontics. So that's when I decided I'm going to go to the U.S. because nobody's going to bother me with soccer or anything. So I'm <laughs> going to just go ahead and do my orthodontics and do research. So the main decision to come to the U.S. came to get away from the other loves or the other passions of my life. The only passion of my life that I didn't left in Brazil was my family. So my wife came with me and I told her this morning that I was going to talk possibly about class three. And she said, well, tell them that you love a class three. And I said, <laughs> well, I will, because this is probably one of the reasons as well. My daughter was also class three and I had the opportunity to treat her. So I think it's, it's an interesting life. I became what I always wanted to be. I don't need money to, to, I need money to survive, to give a comfortable life to my family. I know that I could have been making more outside, but it's one of the things that I'm very proud of. And that when I'm not practicing anymore, I still have that in my mind. Okay, I did what I loved. That's wonderful. I think you're respected and, and also loved by the residents. You work with these residents kind of all day long. What do you see as their biggest challenges and what do you think that residency programs need to be doing to prepare them for graduating and for private practice or whatever practice they decide to do after they're done? Well, let me tell you something. I'm, I'm never worried about the quality of the student or of the resident that we are graduating because some of them start at a different level but whenever we finish the two and a half years, they're basically at the same level. And I'm very pleased. And I tell them, you're ready. Go get it because you're ready. The problem that really annoys me is the amount of debt that these students have nowadays. It's incredible that they have to work half of their time to pay the debts. So if, if they're working 40 hours a week, probably 20 hours is just to pay the debts. So... It's important that something must be done. Some political decision has to be done in terms of this credit or, or how to relieve, not that they don't have to pay it, it's just to pay it a little bit, something, something. I don't know what's the best. I don't have the solution for that, but I see the anxiety of these students, what it's taking them to work for corporate orthodontics. 
Today, I had a talk with one of my residents that came to me early in the morning and said, this is what they are offering me. What do you think? I said, I don't know. It depends on what you need. Uh, I don't know how much you need because instead of opening practices or taking over practices of people who are retiring, they are going back to work for corporate orthodontics, probably seeing 100 patients a day, probably doing a basic, I would say a fair orthodontics, but not the best one they could do it because they don't have time when they're doing this. Not that I'm against corporate. I'm actually glad that there is the solution that the students have today to start to pay their debts. But this is an issue that needs to be addressed. The AAO needs to address that. The education department needs to address that. Probably it's not only with orthodontics, it's with all the specialties and probably other health specialties or health professionals as well. Something must has to be done. I agree. That's definitely top of people's minds when they're getting out. And, you know, I, my brother is considering going to dental school and trying to apply. And it's definitely a concern he has, and he hasn't even begun the process. So I agree that hopefully we can get some, some discussion going on that because that's a difficult topic. Yeah. During the exit interviews that we've been doing every year, what the residents want the most is to learn business. They want to learn how to run a business. And I keep joking with them and said, you have people running the business for you if you're going to corporate orthodontics. But it's important that we also focus our education a little bit on that and maybe show them that maybe as a, a private practitioner and not in a corporate setting, they can probably also do good to be able to pay their debts and to the responsibilities that they have. We're going to finish here with this lightning round. I'm going to ask you eight questions, and then we're going to get some quick replies from you. Does that sound okay? Okay, I'll try. <laughs> Dr. Ruja, what's your go-to treatment for full-step class two? It's canine class one. <laughs> do you have a preferred way of, of getting there if, if they're a full-step class two? I do. We know that class two patients, 75% of the correction that we get is from growth. So if you have a good growing patient, anything that you do will work. But uh, <laughs> if you don't have a good growing patient, you're going to have to do extractions. Uh, my extraction pattern is normally upper fours and lower fives or depending on the if it's a full step. But if I have a growing patient, I'll do everything that I can to get them going. I use, I've been using more Maras now that I used before. It's uh, one of the ways to help growth establish and probably during that period of growth that we have. I've been very successful with it. I know that headgears would be a great thing, but the patients tend to stay away from it. <laughs> yep. What's your standard retention protocol? Wraparounds for the maxillary arch. Depending on the initial malocclusion, I would have, the residents call it mini taco because it's a mini Holly appliance that I designed, or we just go ahead and if it is, there was a lot of crowding and rotations, I would rather do a fixed retainer. Who would you say are your role models or mentors? My biggest mentor was Vikan Sassouni. Uh, this is the man that I wish I would have 50% of his knowledge. He was a brilliant man. In terms of clinic, I have a lot of people that I respect. I have some great people from Brazil that are tremendous clinicians that I respect. 
especially because of the way that we approach finishing in orthodontics. Brazilians are very cosmetic oriented. So our finishings are very, very, very detailed. So this, if I name just one person for you, I probably wouldn't be fair uh, to uh, <laughs> because I have a team of people that I respect. Any lecture that I go, I learn something. Do you have a favorite orthodontic product or instrument, a tool you use in the clinic that you wouldn't want to practice without? Um, bird beak. <laughs> that, that, that works. Perfect. Yeah. I, I tell the residents, just give me a bird beak and I'll be happy. <laughs> awesome. What's the best vacation you've ever taken? Uh, probably when my wife and I, we were empty nested. And then we took a couple of uh, weeks, two to three weeks in Europe. We had a chance to go to different countries. We went to Austria. We went to France. We went to Czechoslovakia. I went to Hungary. I loved Budapest. I recommend Budapest to everybody that I can. So that's probably the time that we took for us. And I think that was the one to remember. What's one great book that you've read recently? Oh, man, I'm still reading it. But don't, don't laugh at me, okay? Because this is, I am a music fan as well. I played the bass guitar and everything when I was younger. I had a band. I participated in a band and everything. And uh, I'm reading now a biography of Paul McCartney, and I love it. Cool, cool. No, I think that's great. Awesome. I love it. What bracket system are you currently using on your fixed orthodontic cases? Well, just give me any bracket will be fine. I say that we can drive any car, right? So, but I, I use twin brackets, uh, 022 slot. I use just regular twin brackets. It could be from anybody. Presently, I'm using the one from Dentsply Suranup. That's what I've been using. Uh, for adult patients, I use some innovation R because I like self-ligating just to make things go smoother in the beginning of the treatment for adult patients. But at the end, to finish the case, it's not the same thing as if I had my regular standard brackets. And I use straight wire. I use my prescriptions. I'm getting away from, uh, from Roth because of the inclination of the canines and everything, but mostly I do any, anything. I'm okay. <laughs> Good. Is there an area of orthodontics that you want to learn more about in the next year? Uh, yes, there are two areas. I would like to uh, learn more about all the controversy on sleep apnea, okay, and setting back mandibles and everything, because the, the evidence that we have nowadays does not say that there is a major change. And I would also would like to learn, and I am learning a little bit more about aligners, uh, we have probably one of the best aligners program in St. Louis. I'm proud to say that I'm responsible for that because I brought Dr. Moshiri in to lead our aligners course that's given to the residents during all the time that they're here. Every other Wednesday morning, we do that. And I'm trying to learn a little bit myself because I see that there is a lot that can be done with it. Absolutely. I think that that's going to be a big part of our specialty going forward. So, 
Well, I want to thank you, Dr. Rujo, for taking some time out of your day to speak with us and to share some of your, your wisdom with us. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. Well, it's my pleasure, Lance. Let me tell you one thing, that I see the work that you've been doing. I see what you've been doing. And uh, this is great to see one of my former residents contributing so much to the profession like you're doing. So keep up with the good work. Thank you for the opportunity. Forgive me for not doing it sooner and uh, earlier, but please, anything that you need, anytime, just get in touch with me. I appreciate that. Have a, have a great day. We'll talk again soon. You too. Thank you. All right, guys, that's a wrap on this episode and on our spring season of the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. Thank you again for your support. If you've missed some of our past episodes, this summer might be a good chance to go back and listen to some of our previous guests. I know that I've learned quite a bit from each of them. So if you've missed any in the busy week to week, go back and catch up on some of our old episodes before we come back in the fall. Have a great summer. Spend some time outdoors. Spend some time with your families. I wish you all the best in your orthodontic offices, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at elevateorthopodcast.com. Tune in next week for another great episode. 